Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio. Very excited tonight. Uh, special guest on, on the podcast. We have been trying to get Todd Edwards lined up here and be it scheduling issues or just both of us seem very, very, very busy. We have finally got Todd Edwards live on the show. I'm excited. And not only do we have Todd, but we have a special guest co-host tonight, Mickey Farrell from Top Floor Tactics. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on the, uh, on the podcast and thank you for being here. I'm excited to have you here. How's everybody doing? Uh, I'm great. I, I was excited this afternoon. Uh, I, was, I told a few guys about it. I was teaching a class uh, uh, locally here in the Metro Atlanta area. And then I got your text that uh, Mickey was going to be co-hosting with you tonight. And and I've been uh, very fortunate and blessed to get to know Mickey. Uh, got to do some training with him. And so I was excited to see uh, he was going to be a small uh, part of this. Yeah, and again, like when Rob reached out to me this morning, uh, it was like just three friends hanging out. So I was real excited to hear that I got a chance to get together and talk with you guys tonight. So thanks for having me on, Rob. I really appreciate that. Not a problem. We appreciate you being here. Um, I, I remember being out in Denver, Colorado for a wedding. And it was, I was definitely enjoying Denver at that point. And uh, I, I don't know if I called you guys or who called me, but it was, uh, it was, I was just, I was excited to see two like-minded individuals together because I've had the uh, opportunity to see both of you teach. Um, Mickey up here in uh, in Poughkeepsie um, uh, with, uh, with, with uh, Butler there. And then Todd, I've seen you down at Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the lake. And I just like, it's one of those things where I was like, this, these are two personalities who are, I'm very excited that they're, uh, they're, they're doing stuff together. So. Yeah, I think me and, uh, I think me and Mickey kind of mesh pretty good. Uh, we were uh, together in Alabama and I, and seem to uh, uh, have a lot of the same ideas uh, the way training should be and and uh, how to conduct training. And I thought that it was it was great to mesh with uh, somebody kind of that like mindset um, that I think all three of us are. But uh, getting to teach side by side with somebody uh, with his resume was just uh, phenomenal. Right. You know, I think a lot of it goes from the fire ground, even when we got out off the fire ground and we hung out with just just friends and, and brothers getting together. And uh, it was a special time for all of us. And it was nice to be it was it was a nice group we had. It was a really cool group. And we're looking forward to doing that again soon. Yeah, I am, too. I am, too. But so so, Todd, take me to the beginning. Like when how did the fire <laughs> service find you or how did you find uh, the fire service? Actually, the fire service was uh kind of born and bred in me my uh uh dad uh was a full-time obviously full-time but he was full-time volunteer volunteer so growing up that's um my whole life was around the fire department and especially around my dad's volunteer department it was santa coming in on the fire truck at christmas time uh as a little kid uh, the Easter Bunny at the firehouse coming in on the fire truck. Um, up north, uh, growing up in Ohio, a lot of small departments with these big fire, and they called them fire conventions. It was just basically every small department in, you know, a 300-mile radius would come to one little town and take over a town. And going to these conventions, just seeing hundreds of fire trucks and hundreds of firefighters, and then going to calls with my dad and uh, it was just, you know, there's almost no escaping it. And then the Dayton public school system at that time was very focused on vocational schools. 
Mm -hmm. So the, the high school I graduated from, I went to the vocational side and it was a three year fire service program. And it was two old uh, crusty captains from Dayton Fire Department were our lead instructors. And so we, we got to ride along with Dayton Fire. We got to go to the Dayton Fire Department Training Academy every day. And I did that for three years in high school, just going through training every day for three solid years. So it was, uh, it was phenomenal in that aspect. I got to join as a 16-year-old kid on a volunteer department my dad was the, then the chief of. Mm-hmm. And uh, came up through there and, you know, turned 18, promoted to the rank of firefighter. And I was dispatching, paramedic, and all these things. Um, so that was kind of the start, but I wanted to do the big city. I just um, had, I, I loved where I was at in the, in the department, but I wanted to be with that big city, that big city sure. vibe. And uh, just started putting in applications and Atlanta called first. And that's how I ended up with Atlanta Fire Rescue. You know, Todd, do you remember like when that moment hit, when you were like, this is for me, like that, like that, like, you know, you have the family influence, but then you, you meld into this, uh, this vocational school and you're volunteering was like your first fire. Like what? Cause I, I, I always knew like myself, like I, my family, I'm second generation firefighter from my father and both my, uh, and my mother. But I remember like when I went to my first structure fire, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, did you have that moment? Do you remember that? Like first, I don't want to say that first job, but like. It was actually like three different events that that really, uh, I think that I remember the most. One, very young. I couldn't even tell you how old I was. Um, my parents were divorced. My dad was taking us back to our mom's house and they bang out a fire. I mean, you know, there's, there's no rules. <laughs> He turns on his little lights and siren in his pickup truck and we go to this house and this, I mean, there, all you could see is fire for blocks. That's all it'd be, you know, as a little kid, it looked like half the city was on fire and just sitting and he said, just stay in the truck. And we just sat in the truck and I bet you we sat there for an hour and a half and he's getting his gear out of the back. I remember that. And I thought, man, this is so freaking cool. Um, and then years later, um, probably 12 or so, my dad, and he received, actually have his plaque hanging in my office. He's since passed just a couple of years ago. But he uh, was involved with a uh, real bad fire at a church. But they, this, the old rectory, the nuns and the priests lived on property. He made two grabs off a 35-foot ladder of two nuns. And he went back up to get the minister out, the preacher out. And there was a, a huge backdraft on the floor, blew him off the top floor across the street and broke his back in three spots. Oh, and I remember shit. as this little kid going to the hospital and seeing my dad just, you know, just beat the hell in traction with his broken back. Um, and I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I mean, you know, in a weird kid way, you know, I was scared, but I was also like, man, look what my dad did. Look what my dad did. And then uh, the very first fire as a 16-year-old cadet, and again, no rules, so I'm inside at 16 on the nozzle. My dad's backing me up and telling me what to do. And I, I hadn't even had any training yet. I'm inside. You know, I knew how to put on gear. That's about what I knew. So, yeah, that was, <laughs> those three events always have stood out in my mind, especially my dad uh, making the rescues. I think that will always be, again, I, I, somewhere it's like rescue of the year award he got 
yeah. for that. Obviously, you know, second two nuns probably probably pretty much guaranteed him a ticket in heaven. I would <laughs> think. Of course, I would he was hope pretty, so. <laughs> I would think that was a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, Todd, I, I I think it's um interesting too because like I know you know and we'll get into it a little bit later but like for me like I have a better understanding of your passion for teaching now because now I understand where some of your foundation is as you were you know getting ready to become a firefighter like you know and and that whole like making sure you're tuned into what the fire service needs because your father set this great example of you I mean like Mm -hmm. you know being ready for the alarm like getting his gear out I mean, like stay in the car but put throwing that stuff on getting up that ladder you know making those grabs and then getting blown off and then like that you know so like and then being with you on your first fire it's like the foundation was laid right from that point so that, that's that's pretty amazing rob just from working with todd and seeing the passion he puts into it uh and hearing that story and it hits so close to home because it's 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 so much like my story it's almost identical my, my dad didn't rescue a bunch of nuns but uh he he was a stand-up fireman and i was a young man watching him and i could see that working with todd and seeing how real he puts this these scenarios he does and i can't even put it into words is why i'm I'm a loss for words but these scenarios he does are so so real and it comes from real life experience i mean when you're that young growing up watching this in real time it transfers over to the training ground um and making it just a real experience for these other firefighters coming on the job. It's just, it's, it's tremendous. And it's great. I love to hear that story. Yeah. So you, hey. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Todd. No, no, I was just going to say, it's just what it's uh, it's just part of that. It's not one that uh, I share that often when people ask, you know, I, you know, kind of give the background um, and I feel very, very fortunate blessed that it, that's just kind of how it worked out. My brother didn't go down that route. My sister, you know, sh- sure now didn't go this route but uh it was just uh i was just always fascinated i'm still fascinated today with 38 years experience and still doing it i'm still fascinated by the job and even more fascinated by the people who do the job I, I'm, I'm impressed by firemen still today i there's nothing that does not impress me about firefighters you know i know guys from Chicago, FDNY to Dawson County, Georgia. And all these guys, as big or as different or as small as their jobs are, I'm always amazed of the passion that, that you know, true. I mean, there's, you know, there's, you know, shit bags, but what true firemen bring to the job is it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. It's truly still amazing to me. I think it's one of the things that um, I'll, I'll never let, I'll never uh, take that for granted how amazing firemen are. Yeah, I think it's always one. I got when was that revolutionary fire tactics at the lake? You know, you strike up a bunch of sidebar conversations, especially when you guys are resetting uh, stations and stuff. And like, I'm always like conversing with the students. And one guy, like, he kind of made a comment about like, was like, well, I'm not really from anywhere special, you know. And I was like, hey, man, like, you're here. Like, if I drive through your town and something happens to me, you're my best bet. And that means a lot to me because mm-hmm. like your presence here means that you're committed. And that's like what makes up this fire service is committed people who are here to do the job. And like the fact that you're here on your own dime and you drove here to, to be here at this training is like, it speaks to who you are as a firefighter. And it just, it blows me away. And he's like, oh man, I can't believe, you know, I'm like, listen, man, I'm a nobody. Like I said, we, we do this thing and that's fun, but like, really like you're the, you're the star here. Like that's, that's the, you know, 
So I, I, I totally agree with you there. I, I am constantly blown away by the people that are out there who are willing to, you know, put themselves forward on this. You know, Todd, just from, from watching you teach from, from, from a bit of afar, I mean, it was, it was your show there and it was an honor to be a part of it, but watching it, you were just a senior guy in the room. Like we would do a scenario, we would break down, we'd go back and we'd do our debriefing. And he was just a senior guy in the kitchen talking and he made everyone feel so comfortable. And with the pedigree of Todd's and where he's coming from and his experience to be on that level, to make the guy with two days in the fire service. I remember there was a young kid there. He had a couple of weeks there. Um, it was a son of one of the firefighters there. And he was a part of it and he was asking questions and interacting because, because Todd made it so comfortable to do that. And, and, and that comes from the experience and the passion and putting people in that position to make it okay to ask the questions and truly, truly learn. And that's where the learning comes from is, is guys like Todd with that passion. Uh, I, you know, I can't say enough about the class he puts on. So uh, if you ever see anything he's doing, and this isn't a promotional uh, commercial for him, but I was really taken back by watching his, his way of, of, of speaking to the students. And um, again, a mentor of mine from a, in, in a very short time from just watching him work. Well, and I, and I really, and it, it's more than humbling to hear anybody say anything like that because I don't look at, I, and I really, and I, I love that, but the re, it's, to me, um, it's very simple because I'm not going to be, you know, you know, I'm not supposed to be ever on truck. My wife freaks out every time I, she thinks I'm always going to fires when I go to my little part-time department to teach, but that 21-year-old kid in a small department may never see that many fires. So if we can't, we have to supplement with not, you know, and I'm not knocking MP1 and all that because that's a good baseline. But after the MPQ1, what's he got? And that's where, you know, guys like yourself and Rob and and, 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 and Chief Ike and all these guys that we know across the country can really fill in some of these gaps. And it's not about, I, I, the guys I teach with the most, I have a very hard, fast rule that the class is student first, student first, student first. I don't give a crap about how many fires Rob Ridley's been to or Mickey's been to if they're teaching me. You know, the occasional war story is great to drive home a point, but all three of us have sat in classes where the instructor's going, look what I did. Look how many things I've done. A 22-year-old kid doesn't give a crap about what you've done. They want to know what you've done, sure, but they also want to know what you can do to make them better at the end of the day. So we have a very student-first driven culture. If we're there, if the class is supposed to be over five and a kid needs another two hours, I'll stay two more hours. That's what that guy came for. That's what he paid or his department paid for. Uh, if I put him on a time clock, I'm, you know, we're doing a disservice that and maybe something that he needs that skill or um, uh, me and Rob worked with a guy out of Crestview. Remember the kid that got stuck in the wire box? The guy that kept getting stuck in the wire box mm -hmm. and we kept giving him tips and advice and, and, and he fought, I mean, he fought till he literally sucked his bottle dry, <laughs> but he learned some valuable lessons by trying and not just giving up. And that's because we spent that extra five, 10 minutes with him that, that afternoon. It was, guy what 100 degrees out by that time oh yeah that's that's never you guys certainly don't teach in climates that are like cool 
No. <laughs> I don't mind. That that Ozark crap, though, that was some ridiculous stuff up there. Now, last year was great. The year before was that, that was, was insane heat. Yeah, that was insane heat. Um, and 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 the student first, student first, student first, like you know, especially with like Lake of the Ozarks, a revolutionary fire test at the lake, uh, and getting to know David and Beth Woodward. Um, the cool thing to me was how many students, because I thought it would just be like a, you know, maybe a marketing line from some of the bigger conferences. But when when Dave and Beth started telling you, they start telling you how many students are going out and actually using their skills and that like literally within 24 hours um they're stretching on a house fire and it's something from the mile high to the dirty south that they they learned or and you know from the extrication class that is is taught or the search stuff or whatever like they're throwing that information to work and they're they're saving lives and i that's that was the part where i was really like wow like there's something special here but it's because of people like you who put the student first you don't mm -hmm. mind sitting there working with them because that can happen. That's the reality. If you don't get it right and you say, well, hey, come back next year, like they're not going to be able to do their job and your oath. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. So how, Todd, like you, you didn't just happen to read a book about all of this stuff and then become an expert. Like this came from your career. So like you, you get hired in Atlanta, uh, you know, 19, 1988, 88. Yeah. 88. I mean, first off, what was the city of Atlanta like in 1988? Like way different than it is today. <laughs> it was definitely uh, more of the wild, wild west type of city. Uh, Atlanta like hung on to the crack epidemic longer than any other city. I mean, they just like hung on to crack and uh, went to a firehouse and a very um, we still had the old school housing projects. And we had three major housing projects. One butted up to the back of our firehouse and then two more down less than a mile. So we were first due at three major housing projects. And so when I came into the firehouse and I wish I wish more departments still ran that old school way in a sense, the captains on Atlanta Fire ran the fire department in all reality. And it was cool to watch and learn from the seasoned captains how to manage and run and you were pretty much being tested every single day as far as the captain had the authority at, in those days to send you packing right down the road if you weren't cutting in his firehouse. And that particular house, we were very busy, um, a lot of shootings, a lot of stabbings, a lot of fires. And so every day you were being watched and it was the captain, the senior man at the firehouse and the, you, know, you, you kind of, Make it was a make or break every fire to me, and I didn't want to disappoint my captain. Um, and I wanted to be better and I wanted to learn, and it was awesome. It was just uh, it was a great time to be on the job. And then when my captain got moved, he did not take the transfer without bringing me and another man with him. So I knew then that I was doing the right things because he transferred to a, a house even busier and brought me. And a friend of mine, another firefighter, we're bringing in these guys. And that's how it, that's, you know, it never happened now. Somebody, you know, cry and write letters and have, you know, sessions yeah. with the shrink and all that shit. But um, it was awesome. And then that firehouse was before the Georgia World Congress Center. It was there. It was that whole area where the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is now. Yeah. And before that, the Georgia Dome. And then, you know, before all that was there, that was all houses and apartments. 
And when that started, we could top the hill and you could go, you could literally go one, two, three headers and go, yeah, hey, go to that one. That looks like the best fire and literally pick and choose what fires we were going to. Um, and again, it was this great learning, you know, everything from one story frames to, you know, two story multifamily to bacons to occupied uh, drug dens. It, yeah, we never knew. We never knew what we were going into, but we had great seasoned guys with us that, you know, at times held our hands and at times, you know, kicked us in the ass. And every fire we literally, I learned this from Cap Hoatsclaw, every fire we did a debrief at the scene. Every fire, if there was a room of content, we did an after action review. We critique them, but after action review now, after every little fire. And it wasn't to bash us. It was so we learned about what we did really good and what we could improve on for the next fire. And I adopted that and used it. I saw I used it in my trainings, things we did good that during that drill, things we could have done better and things we need to really, really change right now on this drill field or at a fire scene. It was awesome. It was just, you know, truly blessed to be on the job at that time in the city. Now you have on, on the, on the bio you sent me, uh, along with your father, Captain Holtzclaws was one of your uh, mentors and, and, and influencers. Like, what was that dynamic like? Because especially like the fact that you're talking about um, the critique afterwards, because nowadays, like I bring it up at work sometimes and guys are like worried about, like they're, they're so steadfast to defend the line. Like, and I'm like, hey, we're not in a fight here. Like we're literally like, this ain't about you. This is about delivering a better product to the citizen. Like if I, if I fuck up, I want you to tell me about it. Mm-hmm. I want you to be like, hey, I don't think you made the right decision here. Um, so, like, what was what was that like? Because I, you know, I, I would I would imagine that if it like, how would that critique be handled today? You know, kind of thing like the. Uh, if it was a major, uh, if it was a really bad screw up, it usually wasn't by Captain Host Claus Company because. Mm-hmm. As busy as we were, I mean, our engine would run on average 18, 20 calls a day, plus one or two fires. And we still did some training, whether it was Captain writing 20 questions on the chalkboard or going to a vacant house and doing searches or at the fire scene. We'd hang out the fire scene long after the fire out and we'd go over techniques of popping other doors uh, pulling tongue and groove ceilings, every little thing, but the after action, and he didn't have it into a system um, the way I, I just kind of picked it up and I said, well, I'll put it in this kind of format. He always, 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 always told us everything we did really, really good before anything else. Man, you guys did, man, the way you guys got the line on the ground, the way you guys got in there, man, I love that push down the hallway. Then he would follow it up with next time get the line over on this side first and make your, and then just go over things we could improve on. And then if it was a screw up that usually that conversation usually took place with the individual. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I saw him send, send a guy right to the back of a bumper at a fire. And after we got done with the fire, uh, told that guy to go see the chief. He was never ever coming back to our firehouse. And I never saw him back in that firehouse ever again. And that's just how, I mean, he abandoned it. It was, a, you know, fire that went sideways, had a complete roof collapse, a couple of bailing out windows. Um, and the captain actually got rescued by the truck driver. I mean, he had to be drugged out from underneath the collapse. And the guy that was with him just bailed on him, left him. 
that was it. That guy was done. His career was done in our firehouse uh, from wow. that moment on. And we know, hell, I, I don't remember seeing him hardly at all after that. I know he, still, he was still on the job, but he avoided that side of town, I think, after that. <laughs> but I think, uh, and I would like, I think, I don't know how Mickey's job does. If that, you know, we do big critiques for big fires, but the company level critiques is where I, the big city critiques are the big ones where you got 20 companies and everybody's covering their ass sometimes. It was the, yeah. the company critique or the company action that, was more educational to me than anything else. I don't know if you if you do that uh, on your job, Mick, or how you guys handle that where you're at, and uh, do you guys even discuss it, or is it just a uh, whatever? No, I mean we do discuss it. It's uh, it's definitely on the firehouse level, not so much the company level. So if you're in an engine and truck type thing, the engine and truck, we'll get together, and it could be four in the morning before you know you clean the tools, you get squared away, and before anyone goes back up to the rack or whatever it may be, we're in the kitchen and we're talking. And I like to mix it up a bit in a sense where everyone always wants to talk about what they did at a fire. I did this, I did that, I did that. But I want to challenge everyone out there, anyone listening, is to is, is bring this back to your company or, or your firehouse. Is to challenge the brothers when they come back and say, what did you do wrong? And what did you do wrong? Because this is what I did wrong. Because we all make mistakes at a fire. And I think that's something that's kind of lost, um, especially with the lack of fires. I think when there's so many fires going around, um, we all know we make mistakes, but we can quickly make them up at the next fire. But now there's not a fire the next hour, the next day, or maybe a week later. Um, so if we can identify all the problems that we truly make and the mistakes we make at these fires, collectively, we can forward progress or have a progression of, of trending to being a better company by coming together and understanding the mistakes we make. Let's discuss it. Let's learn from them. And let's move on together as a company. Um, as far as like the bigger critiques, usually after, you know, if you have a job at night, three in the morning, usually at the change of tours around 10 o'clock or so, maybe you go back to that fire and all the companies in the battalion are showing up and looking and now, you, and, and now you're, you're talking with the guys, you have a second do truck. Oh, we did this, we did that. And, and, and that's always fun. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you got, you got to have that hot wash or that, or that debriefing before guys go to bed, because how many times have we gone to fires and you don't do that? And then you lay in bed and you can't sleep because you're thinking of everything you did wrong, right? So it's almost like the counseling service or the, speaking to a, a shrink in that kitchen table. Everything you've done wrong, now we talk about it. And now you can sleep better. But you know what? I made a mistake, but so did that guy and so did that guy and so did mm -hmm. that guy. And, and, and the next fire, we're going to be that much better. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's why I said, that, you know, we would talk about the things we did good, but the uh... – the things uh, that we could always improve on were so valuable. And we also took those same things and um, we would turn them into, you know, as a lieutenant, I would always turn that into a training the next shift. If we, you know, if the guy struggled getting, you know, a rope stretch or something, uh, that's exactly what we were doing the very next shift at that morning. We were going out and practicing that skill set. Um, and just refining it. And sometimes that's all it took was, uh, you know, if it's something you hadn't done for a minute, if you hadn't done, uh, you know, we're swinging door for a while or, you know, whatever the case is, it's amazing how skill sets kind of diminish over time. And that's usually where your biggest mistakes come from, something you just haven't done for a while. And we go out and we drill on that and talk about it, laugh about it. And uh, it always improved every, every, I never saw any mistake we made made not improve on the next time we had to do that particular skill or that particular job or whatever the case was 
You know, and I think the key to that comes from everyone understanding that everybody makes a mistake at a fire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially that, that younger generation coming on, the guys three, four, five years maybe, they, they get to a point where they think they're doing everything right. And you may be doing everything right, but every fire, there's so many things that set you back mentally. It doesn't really affect the whole fire, but it affects your confidence mentally and how that can adapt to your skill set. Also, too, uh, like there's been times where I think that I've either sounded like a, a crazy man on the radio. Like I, I'm always worried about screaming. Like I, and I always think that I'm one of these screamers, and I always say to somebody, like, please tell me that I didn't, you know, holler like a madman. Like, no, no, you were like you were calm and cool. Or like I screwed up a door one day. Like I just had a misstep with the Halligan bar, and but like the door got propped or popped. But in my mind, I thought that that took like five minutes because of that one, you know, and, and it was like just a simple mistake, you know? Um, but like having that conversation afterwards, the guys were like, no, no, we were in there pretty quick. Like you didn't, they didn't even know I screwed up like, because, but you're, I was so hyper-focused on like that one misstep that, you know, I thought like the whole operation got screwed. The fire went out, like everybody was fine, but that's what I went back to. And, you know, having that conversation with you, right. It's like, you're not sitting there, hashing it over in your head so but don't don't you both think that the your best firefighters are their hardest critic your 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 own personal hardest critic on yourself sometimes 100 percent, yeah yeah I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 as a boss i used to get copies of the radio traffic i wanted to hear how I sounded, what I could have mm-hmm. improved upon on my on my communication, especially as a battalion chief. You know, I was anal about when if Mick's on the second floor, he calls me. I in my mind, I need her immediately, and I always practice that. I was hyper focused when guys inside needed something, asked for something, that their response was immediate, and they didn't have to. Advice. And I thought that I always looked for those. Did I answer that guy the first time? Did anybody have to call me twice? And if somebody did call me twice, I was mad about it. I'd think about it for days. <laughs> so, yeah, those, yeah, those are just good. I mean, I think those are good, not negatives against guys. You know, as long as you don't dwell on it, you know, become anal retentive about shit, you're fine. So you're, you're working as a fireman. You're having the time of your life because Atlanta is – definitely seeing work then uh when when does the idea for you start to pop into your head about promotion uh honestly right in atlanta uh you're eligible to test for driver after two years okay i was i was i was a backup engine driver backup truck guy uh my captain made it very clear to me that i cannot drive the we had a tiller i could tiller it I could back the tiller, just the back end. I could never master the front end. <laughs> I'd master enough to pass the test. I could never back that front end. I was always, you know, doing it. And I literally shut down like half of Interstate 75 trying to back into a fire station that was off the interstate. And he said, you're going to keep I mean, we literally shut down the road. And he just yelled at me for 10 minutes. I'm trying to back the front end. So uh, I didn't take the driver's test because I knew I was not a good driver or that. And I hated being outside on the engine. I hated being at the pump panel. Um, so at the five-year mark, I knew I was eligible to take um, 
with tanks exam. And I was already riding up as an extra officer, uh, which was great the way I was brought up underneath cabin to be an additional seat rider. And then the test came around and uh, our Mike sat there and then there's three of us testing and we studied and we every shift he would spend two hours, three hours and we'd walk in and he'd just drop a test on the table at us. He wrote himself out of the study material. Um, he wanted to see us move up. He, you know, he didn't, you know, he loved having us. I, I think I need to ask him that. I just talked to him today, actually, uh, about a little event that we're doing. But uh, he, uh, we had the test, we'd get questions. And uh, uh, I was, you know, passing my first time out. And is not always the case and and it was not because of me it was definitely because of him i have no doubt because i wouldn't have studied that hard unless i had somebody with their uh, foot in my ass every day about studying yeah i think there was somebody i was talking to earlier today about leadership and they were talking about um like molding people seeing potential and uh turning attitudes around you know and it seems mm -hmm. like that guy hit all three of those points you know as far as like pushing you forward so you you take the test, you promote out, like, where do you, where, where do you end up going? Uh, I originally, <laughs> Elena's a little strange, but I literally went from um, the station I was at to a station on the other side of the city, which was just as crap, just as busy, uh, which was great <laughs> with another, I, I just, I, I am, I guarantee I had the luckiest career coming up through the ranks with the people I got to work with. Um, Went to a station that was just buck wild with firemen. I mean, these guys were like the the dregs of the fire department. I had my driver was an openly gay guy that everybody knew about. Best driver I've ever had. Best, I mean, just the greatest guy. But he also had a whole bunch of personal issues that he brought to the firehouse. Another guy with a wife, three kids, and four girlfriends. He brought all that shit to the firehouse. And I, here I am, a brand new leader, dealing with all these odd personalities and a hard nose. If like one room of a 18 room house is on, if one room's not on fire, this cab's like, we're going inside. We're going inside. We're going. This is just how Jeff was. He was my next really, I put him on my list. And I should have. Um, hard, most hard charging boss I've ever had and a training animal um the worst the funniest moment was on father's day we we took our company to the drill yard and trained on may day and rent for four hours i thought the guys grabbed a heart attack i was like it's the captain's fault <laughs> you know i'm this young lieutenant going, it's the captain's fault i don't know i'm just doing what the captain says <laughs> but it was just that you know this is a great is another great learning firehouse and it was the same kind of you know same thing a lot of one story we had some new apartments but mostly just um drugs hookers shootings and another 20 run day of station every single shift was like that so um that was station two and uh still one of the busiest firehouse in the city is that that house and wouldn't have traded a second of it uh you know for my couple of years i was at that firehouse before i got transferred what were the, you know, you had quite a, a cast of characters as that new new in that new position as a as a new lieutenant. What were some of the lessons? I, I don't I don't know if it's like easily uh, like I'm not going to say this right or not, but like what were some of the lessons that you really got out of that first year or two being in that house uh, as a new officer? 
that not everybody is as into the job as I felt like they should be. And I tried to push that on the guy. And we had great guys at that firehouse, but we also had guys that were maybe at that station, even though they didn't want to be, is this where they fell at and they were kind of stuck there and they're trying to look for a way out. But my thought was everybody should be into the job as much as I'm into the job. And that, it, it what I learned in really quick order was, uh, hey, you know what? Not everybody's into the job like this. I just assumed everybody was, and I was incorrect. And I learned some very great lessons about how to communicate with everybody. The guys who are super in and the guys who are going through the motions. Um, and that was a lesson I hadn't had because I'd always, you know, these, you know, hard charging, knock down the door, save the baby and those are the guys I always worked with. So that station was great. The cap was that way, but guys on my engine company were going through the motions and right. it took me a while to, and I had to adapt to them a little bit, but they also had to adapt to my belief system about the job itself too. Oh, somebody's having a choking. You need a homelick, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you turned your mic off so we didn't have to hear that <laughs> right i hope it looked as violent as it was for me on the other end <laughs> how did you how did you eventually overcome that because i feel like this <clears throat> this issue is still present in the fire service we have people who are totally into the job and we have people who are going for emotions so what were the <clears throat> the tools that you got or what, what tactics did you use to get, get you, yourself through that? And I, and I kind of bring this into some of my classes now, and I wish I would have been doing it earlier. I really just kind of took a step back and started asking these guys questions. And I, and I kind of teach this down in my leadership classes about it's okay to ask a guy why. And what I found really fast is most guys didn't even know, they didn't know why they weren't into the job or they didn't know why they felt this way about this particular firehouse or this particular guy or this particular chief. And what I found really provoked them to think and by them answering me and, you know, the guys who had answers, it actually made me think past just the job. You know, I was so just in job that it really taught me how to learn more about the personal side of, the, of your firefighters as well as the job side of your firefighters. And that really made a big difference in a lot of things. I'm not saying I didn't screw up a whole bunch after that, but um, those guys taught me a lot of valuable lessons, uh, not just my captain who was into the job, but the guys who, you know, didn't, but they, it was a lot of give and take. And, and uh, we kind of formatted our days to kind of accommodate, everybody but still accomplish everything we wanted to accomplish and um i learned how to set expectations ahead of time so as i moved up and down and around um always had this list of expectations and the first rule of getting a, li a list of expectations for me was to give me your list of expectations yeah. and that was a very unique di uh, dynamic that uh has really been beneficial over the course of my career is asking you know, as a rookie, they typically they're not sure, but always three shifts. You've got to give me your list. I got to know. I want you to talk to your family, talk to other firefighters. What do you expect from me as your boss? And then we'll build from there. But they always had mine, you know, about 
little things about when to get to work and, you know, the, the kind of those unwritten firehouse rules and what I expect at the fire scene and what they can expect from me. And that seemed to work, but I didn't learn that from fire officer one, fire officer two, and, you know, I'm not knocking those names, but they're very boxed, very generic. And I've never been to a fire station or a fire department as generic ever. I think, I think that's an interesting conversation sometimes because, you know, we we're very acutely aware that you can go to firefighter one, whether it's a state program, IFSTA or something else, you know, and we know that that guy is not going to come out of that class and be a backstep fireman. And it's up to us to make sure we mold that person into the firefighter that we want them to be. But yet when we get to the officer series, like, well, yeah, take fire officer one, take fire officer two, etc three and four i think they have now but we don't actually teach them how to be an officer we teach them how to make tactical decisions we can talk about these how to have an s1 d1 conversation or hr issues but we don't actually say like hey here's how like that's another fucking human being here so Mm -hmm. treat them like a human you know like when you went out over that thing about um you know it's okay to ask a guy why what clicked into my mind is that some people don't know why they're doing that but they're right. doing it. But the minute that they start to explain it, it's like, uh, you know, we talk about like trauma stuff when we see screwed up shit. I tell people, hey, just say out loud what you saw. Because the minute that you do that, it's like a radar scope that's scrambled. But the minute that you say, you know what, like I'm just, this call is really bothering me because I wasn't expecting to see, you know, X, Y, and Z happen. And the minute you say it, you own it. And now everything becomes a little bit clearer. And I, I was like, you know, because I've, without, ever having taken that portion of any of your teachings i've done that before and asked people hey like what, what's going on what's the deal with this why are we why are we here like this you know and then they explain it and you're like all right well, now i know and everybody moves on so it's just mm-hmm. it's, it's it's huge it, it's such a simple thing to ask somebody and it's interesting the responses um a guy that I don't think cared for me. I think it, I it actually, I know we don't care for each other even today. And he's still on the job, but I confronted him one day and just asked him why he thought this of me. And he said, I don't have to answer. He turned away. Well, he didn't have an answer. So being the right. asshole that he is, his best response was turn, turn tail and walk away. But what I found out after I confronted him, he never said another negative thing because he knew I would confront him. And we, you know, if you shy away from assholes, they're going to keep being assholes. And most guys that are bitching, moaning, uh, running their suck holes the loudest are usually guys just looking for attention. And when you confront them, they immediately back off because now they, they don't really want the conference. And I'm not, I'm not saying confront them in a way I want to take you out back and beat the shit out of you, even though I'd love to have. It was to see why he thought what he was saying about me and man it's amazing when you confront somebody they're like oh, I, I don't have to talk to you about this well why'd you say it and that's all i kept doing is well why'd you say this why do you think this i kept saying that and boom he was gone never said another word about me though the i call it the press like putting the press on somebody is always funny because there's a moment of truth there and quite honestly like the other side of it for me was always like i could hear something that i don't want to hear but like i asked yeah <laughs> so you know, and but that's how we find solutions. So it, it, that's a thank you. I, I, I actually, the, the question you were kind of posing to me about uh, 
uh, about dealing with the guys that aren't into the job as much. I'm, I'm very curious of what uh, uh, Mick's take is on that. Oh, this is a trick question, Todd. <laughs> you I'm, I'm curious because I know every job, I don't care how small, medium, or big a job is, every department looks around the room and they go, oh, you don't want that guy or you don't want that guy. But how, if that guy works with you on a daily basis, um, I was just curious how you've dealt with that uh, throughout the course of your career. So from what I've always seen, and I, and I always go back to this, is that the good guys always gravitate to great places and the not so good guys gravitate to shit places. <laughs> and I like to think that's how it naturally works, but sometimes it's not that, that way. And unfortunately, the work volume is just not there anymore where um, a guy can get humbled very quickly early on and if he's not doing the right thing like it's okay you can be into this job and not be a total goofball as brian mm -hmm. butler always says you know you can be into the job and not be goofy about it it's like brian butler's slogan but it's the truth like and it's okay to love this job it's okay to be into this job but as long as you can do your job i don't care if you're not reading every publication out there you're on social media i don't care as long as if we go out the door it's out a couple windows you get the job done you get me water you force the door that's fine I don't, you don't have to be into the job, quote unquote. However, you have to be able to do your job. And I think that's where the fine line comes from. So when you work in the good companies and the busier companies, I think everyone, you have to be on par, right? And mm -hmm. you have to be able to do your job. So guys that aren't into the job, I'm okay with that as long as you can do your job because I'm into it. I love it. It's my life. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be me. And I don't expect you to be me and, and 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 I think about it 24 7 unfortunately it's almost a downfall in my life how much I'm into it I think it's all three of us probably have the same problem but um yeah. there's almost something to be said about those guys that are kind of into it right like wow how do you just kind of into this like it's it's, it's great it's awesome but like um yeah I know it, it's a it's a challenging question and I think that every department handles it differently but I truly believe that the good guys will gravitate to those good places and those good places are still doing some work. And when the work picks up, those bad guys kind of gravitate to the bad places. For the places that aren't doing the work, that's where the trouble truly lies. And I don't even know what the answer is there. I think the answer there is um, maybe just, like like Thomas saying, ask questions. When you ask questions, it challenges guys and the guys disappear. They they scatter like cockroaches when, you, when you're talking about, <laughs> you know? It's like you bring a question up in the kitchen. Next thing you know, you see guys like, okay, I'm gonna go. Over there. You know? So yeah, but just constantly, if you're in that situation and you, and and you want that 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 better culture in your own company, your own firehouse, or your own department, is just ask the questions. And if you ask the questions, the good guys will gravitate to you and bring you in, and those bad guys will slowly gravitate away. I don't think there's any way of changing them. And I've said this before. I think it's one of these things where not everyone's born to be a fireman and they get the job and that's great. Know your job, but not everyone was born into this. And I think the three of us and many people are probably listening to this. They can't imagine not having it. So consumption of the life of this job. It, it fulfills so many aspects of our life from spiritually to meditative, to uh, adrenaline, aggressiveness, love, passion, intimacy, all these things come from the fire service. And not everyone has that. And that's okay. And, and it, it took me many years to realize not everyone has those feelings about the job. But with that said, just know your job. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent agree. And I, I think I love that, uh, that take on it. Uh, 
and it did it takes a long time it took me a long time but as a boss i you know i kind of got knocked in the head with that you know because i i was almost in shock i mean how the hell aren't you into this but like you yeah i agree but you know sometimes in the smaller jobs i think it's where those guys there's not much of a choice that you know there's no place to there's no slow firehouse to go hide in, you know, all the houses are about the same or they all go to every fire in their district. And, um, those are the, I think even more challenging for those departments, uh, in Atlanta, um, not saying they're bad, but a lot of our guys that weren't into the job, I know guys that went out to the airport and never, ever, ever went to another fire again in 30 years. They went to the airport and stayed at the airport. And they were comfortable at the airport. We need airport firemen too. I get that, but um, I, I never grasped how you can't just love what we do because it's you know I, I I love what I've heard some of the other guys say that it's 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 not a given. It's this is a privilege to be able to do this job, and I don't know. I think that's something we should do a better job in the American Fire Services uh, when we talk about hiring and retention and selling selling that, that this is a privilege, not a right for you to be here. You know, you can, you can go work at McDonald's if you just need a job, but this is, this is, there's too much involved with this, too much at stake at this, in this line of work to have, you know, Joe blow off the street in my firehouse. You know, I think it starts with, I think it may start with the academy. Um, I taught an academy class uh, a few months back and uh, a guy actually quit. Because you said, I'm not buying into this culture. And, uh, you know, wow. I wanted to go shake the brother's hand and say thank you for, for being yeah. honest. Like, yeah. He just says, I'm not, because I'm not buying into this. So I think it starts with, with day one in the academy and really letting these brothers know or these, these young kids coming on, this is truly a family. It's not just a job, right? You're not working at Best Buy anymore. You know, you're a firefighter. And there's something so special about that. And if you can get that ac like across early on in the academy maybe we should have a class in the academy dedicated to culture understand the history of why we're here and why we do things why we have names for certain tools and why we and why unfortunately we are reactive rather than proactive in the fire service but let's talk about some of those reasons i think that might set guys up for success in the future instead of you learn that when you get to the firehouse right oh yeah just do it this way to pass the exam you get to your firehouse you learn that well, unfortunately, not everyone gets to go to that good firehouse and is setting young, motivated firefighters up for failure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'd, I don't know what kind of hailstorm I'm going to pull into myself here, but like we, we send our guys up to Montour Falls for the state academy. And it's funny you say that, Mick, because like they have, Andy Fredericks is very instrumental in the Montour Falls Career Fire Academy. Uh, they have a smoothbore nozzle that he utilized up there that he always taught with. They have a Halligan bar. There's, there's a memorial for him. They have a training classroom for him. And then like, like one of the things I like to do for all the guys that come in the firehouse is I go down to Staples and I'll print out the book of Andy for them so they can have that. And you talk about the culture. Like I can tell you that there's not that, like they're not teaching that, but yet they have a memorial for a guy that was all about you know, he was about a lot of things in the job, but like his culture and his writing was there. So it's like this, uh, like there's two opposites here that are like, you know, coming together. Like there's this, we're not going to teach culture, but like, here's this whole thing. And like, I, I, I think that's he, like a, that needs to happen. I need to have a culture class because there are people who are taking this job. I, I think I was talking to Sean Duffy and 
uh, Pablo Jenner the other day um, from Build Your Culture about this, who are literally coming in and saying, you work eight days a month and there's recliners, sign me up. <laughs> and that's not what we want. Like they're not, that, right. that, that person who's testing out and interviewing is not here and they are not like they're feeling privileged because there's a recliner they're not feeling privileged because they're helping helping people and i just uh, it's really you know you got my mind going on that one <laughs> like you know i i had a conversation yesterday with a guy and uh we were just talking about the future of the job and where it's going in in, in the next generation coming on and i truly believe the problem comes from recruiting we're recruiting the wrong people and that's the bottom line I'll be honest about it. I mean, yeah, there's some good guys coming out of it, but overall they're selling the wrong message. Like you said, Rob, they're just selling the wrong message. And with that, you get the wrong guys. Uh, no fault to them, but it yeah. is what it is. So kind of getting ourselves out of the weeds here a little bit. So uh, Todd, I want to put a focus back on you for a minute. Cause like you're, you're a Lieutenant, you go up to captain. Twice. Twice. And I see this, like I, I, I've seen a couple. So can we like how, you you tell me how this how this kind of works out because there's a lesson in here because I think this is like one of the most humbling things about you is that you you do not hold back on this story. No, uh, it was uh, to, you know made you know did my time you know did a couple years lieutenant and was eligible to take captain's exam. Um, felt like I was ready because of the mentors I had. Took the captain's exam. I'm number nine on the list so i'm you know, I'm like hell yeah and the assignments come down and i get assigned to station 35 or whatever the hell i, I was there long enough to remember the station number and it's at the airport now i have no airport certifications no airport knowledge i had to get directions to the firehouse that's how little i knew about the airport because atlanta fire also operates the airport fire and um I'm, I mean, I'm literally, I am devastated by this assignment. I've been a ghetto firefighter all this time. And now you're going to put me at the airport. This is bullshit. What, what year so, is this? Oh, uh, God, 88, 89, uh, mid, early to mid nineties, I guess, somewhere around there. Okay. And so I've got all, you know, I got these time and I've been to all these fires. I got all this experience and I go. And I'm not going to take the position. I get calls from guys that I admire and I know on the job. Just go, man. You want to be out there for a year and just take it, man. Don't turn down your cap. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll go. I'll go. I, I talked to my wife about She's like, yeah, it won't be that long. I show up. I do. I go. I swear to God, I go to the firehouse. I walk in and I'm in the door two minutes. And the first words out of the guy I'm relieving is you got to get your gear replaced. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we don't have gear that smells like smoke out here. And I was like, oh, this was a mistake. Right out of the gate, I knew I had screwed up. So they make breakfast. I meet everybody. I know nobody. This, this is how I, different the department is. I know, not, I know two guys, and it's a crew of like 25 at the airport. We got two crash trucks, and we all sorts of this firehouse. I have no idea. We catch a, a runway call. I have no idea what it is. I This is how stupid I was. I mean, this is how stupid by putting people not knowing what the hell they're doing. I go out to the crash truck. I climb up, and I don't even know how to open the door to the crash truck. It's got this weird, complicated door. 
the driver had to get out and open my door for me. I'm saying, I mean, I, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. <laughs> I can't open the door to the truck I'm supposed to be riding on that I'm in charge of. And I said, do I tell them we're responding? No, 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 don't. Yeah, they, they know we're responding. You don't need to say shit. I'm like, well, so what do we do? We pull out on the ramp and sit there. And I'm looking around going, now what? He goes, oh, this is it. So this is it. Yeah, it's a runway standby. And I said, what does that mean? Oh, pilot had a red light or some shit go off cop. It's no big deal. They clear it. We back in. He lets me out of the truck because I can't get out of the truck either. I climb out of the truck. I go to the captain's office and I start typing. And I type my resignation letter as captain. <laughs> Submit it up the chain. Go on sick leave. And tell them I uh, I want I'm demoting back to the rank of lieutenant. I want to return back to my firehouse, and I go on sick leave. I don't call my wife. I drive straight home. It's this is in the summer. Nobody's at the house. I know she's at the pool with the kids with all our friends. I pick up a twelve pack. I go into the pool. She's like, "What the hell are you doing here?" I said, eh, "I'm a lieutenant again." <laughs> and I went back to my old firehouse. I was a captain for six hours, maybe eight, I guess. Um, yeah. So I did two more years as lieutenant and loved every minute of it and promote again, finished number one and went to engine 20. And I'd already made up my mind if they tried to send me to the airport, I was going to turn it right back down. I'd say lieutenant for life when I went to that damn place. I just was, could not go to that fire. I just couldn't go to the airport, bro. Was this history like in the making where like, I mean, I know you said there were people like, hey, just stay out there for the year. But did this like create waves in the community? They're like, what is he doing? Is he nuts? Like he's uh yes, a lot of what a dumbass comments, are you out of your mind comments? Uh there's a policy that came out three years, four years later, that if you took the test and you remained on the list, you had to take your assignment no matter where it was. So I don't think it's called the Edwards policy. I think it was partly because I turned it down. <laughs> There's I, enough people know. talking about it. They thought they needed to put pen to paper. Yeah, I guess good. so. I'm not real sure how it came about. Um, and I made captain, went to, you know, uh, one of the best single engine companies in the entire city. So it was, uh, you know, it, was, it is what it was. it was meant to be, I guess. What was this uh, transition? Like, I, this is one thing that, like, for my department, it's very different because we're a smaller job. But, like, in Atlanta, when you became the captain, what additional responsibilities did you take on? It really, as lieutenant, so lieutenant rides engine, captain on the truck and double houses, all the single companies are um, single engine companies. Sorry, new engine work. You know, that's the, I've been riding an engine yeah. my whole career as a fireman, as a lieutenant, backs, you know, rode the ladder truck uh, on occasion, tiller, you know, when they need me, never the front end because I wasn't good at that. Um, and so the transition really wasn't that difficult for me. I, it was still learning. It was more, you know, more paperwork responsibilities, that kind of stuff that um, I'd been taught and learned from my captains when you talk about personnel evals and paperwork and that kind of crap. But I mean, really, uh, I think, again, it's one of those things that we focus on that in your fire officer one and two classes. Uh, it was more knowing that everything was on you now, the engine's on you, the station's on you, the personnel are on you, everything falls on you as a captain. And, you know, I knew that going in, it wasn't like I, it was a, because my time as lieutenant, I learned all those things. So it was a, that, that transition from lieutenant to captain was pretty easy. There's a transition from captain to VC that's ex, that was extremely difficult. And so let, let's dive into it. Why was it, what, what, 
explain that to me. You, you, so you take the test, you get, you get promoted to battalion chief. Yeah, and I got very. Uh, I was fortunate enough that I went to uh, the the busiest battalion car in the city. Uh, made a lot, a lot of fires off that battalion. But now you're overseeing. I, I'm overseeing um, five captains, um, four, you know, three lieutenants, and over forty personnel are on all underneath my command. And everything, everything comes across your desk. If it's a if it's a vacation request, it goes from the fireman to the captain to at that time all the way to bc and then i have to sign that i've got to take it so i'd rode up as a battalion chief um you know for two years you know when the battalion chief was off and i was my turn in the box i rode up big difference between filling in as the boss and being the boss and establishing uh, a culture within the fire is but doable establishing a culture in a battalion where I've got a couple stations and a hard charger, and then I got two outline companies, and them boys are coming to work going, God, I hope we don't even have a call today very well afire, and trying to establish a, a, a culture in the battalion of the importance of the job and that made training the number one priority. Um, and I, I took some different old school cabs in, like some of my approaches, but they adapted and understood why. And I didn't believe in officer meetings. <laughs> just thought those were always stupid to me were stupid so i did station meetings i didn't meet just with the captain i met with the captain the lieutenant the rookies the dry everybody i met with the whole firehouse and whatever i was you know whether it was information coming from you know from high upon or stuff we were doing in the battalion i wouldn't I, why should i just tell the captain when i can they can get the word directly from me and then if they have questions they can ask me versus hey captain will you ask the chief this well, time it gets back to me, you know that question isn't the same exact question. So right. it gave guys the opportunity to interact. And I thought that uh, to me was the, you know, for me, that was the best way. It worked for me. I'm not saying it's the best way, um, but we had a test in the battalion by operating that way. And we made some department-wide changes based on what we did and tried uh, just within our own battalion at fires, things we tried and worked and did work and end up are in SOGs now because of what we did in the battalion. It wasn't me. It was me and the battalion doing it together. Everything we did was, I, I was very, um, very team based leadership to me that I yeah. can't run the battalion. I need all you captains, all the lieutenants, all the firemen, all of us got to run this battalion. That's the only way this is going to work for me. That I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's going to work on everybody's job. But man, it 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 was um, the transition once complete. It was just more of that learning curve, and I really learned a lot about communicating with a, a wide variety of people, the hard chargers to the the guys just going through the motion, to the rookies, to the senior men, to the drivers, um, and it was all came literally, literally coming from my first interaction, my first day of going to every firehouse and sitting down. I started at 7.30 that morning and got done like at midnight that night meeting with firehouses, just talking. And that's really what it was. It wasn't even a, I didn't even call it a meeting. I said, hey, everyone come by and just BS with everybody. And all that just really snowballed from there. And it was really, uh, it was looking back, at, you know, you don't always notice it, but it was a cool um, experience. I'm not saying, again, I did anything groundbreaking, but, uh, it worked for what I needed to do as a boss and, you know, I, I, keep I these guys only, on point. 
I can only imagine because I think it's like, it's not, and, and I know some people would like, they, they might throw out like micromanaging, but like, this is like extreme ownership, you know, like even some of the stuff that Jacko Williams talks about in his book and stuff, like, um, you're like, because now, like you said, like there's the message is always lost. So like, mm-hmm. no matter how good the, 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 the sender and the carrier want to be, like, they're not going to get it hundred percent right typically with all those responsibilities so now the firefighters have FaceTime with their chief mm-hmm. and the expectation is coming from like you know like be too crazy here but like hand to god like the chief has said in front of all of us like this is what's going on you know and like there's an open dialogue so like i i i mean i commend you for that because that's just that's cutting down some bureaucratic levels of bullshit essentially yeah I don't believe I, I still don't believe in an open door policy and the guys knew that that yeah the cat if it's an issue no rookie is going to call my office and tell me about an issue about their captain that had to go through the chain we still follow chain of command mm-hmm. but when it came to disseminating information why shouldn't they hear it directly from me instead of a memo or an email and then the captain explained it in the way he read my email versus us just sitting down and having a conversation. And then when that guy doesn't understand it, he can. Right. Or I go, shit, I don't really, that's a great question. Stand by and then I can make a few phone calls, you know, and handle it right there. That crap of waiting all I got for an answer for two or three days still drives me nuts. Yeah. So you go from, you go battalion chief and then you get promoted to assistant chief. Yeah, I was battalion for over five years. Um, uh, my Still my favorite job was captain. It, it will always be my favorite position of being that first arriving engine, obviously. But uh, uh got, was offered the position and was like, oh, hell no. Came home, looked at my career track, look at, you know, where, how much time I had left, look at, you know, the, the pensions and uh, wife was thrilled because I was coming off a rig and she didn't have to worry about me anymore. She's been worrying about me, you know, for a very, 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 very long time. Um, so I took it and I knew I was going to be over vision. I was going to be over arson. I was over apparatus. I was over the fire. I could actually make a lot of great changes in the position I was going to be put in. So reluctantly, I take the job. <laughs> Worst career move ever. <laughs> and yeah, you know, the job was good. I mean, you know, I enjoy, I actually didn't mind the work. Um, but I found out within the first month of me doing it that uh, our leadership was shit, just to be honest. Um, I, if you called him, if you asked me what I thought of his leadership, I'd tell him right to his face. I thought it was shit leadership. It was very, aggressive it was my way or the highway type of leadership um but i got called out because i you know was coming into work got two alarm fire bangs out i'm the first on the scene i take command and i get in trouble for it and i'm like uh you know we're still firemen right we should go to we were not allowed to respond to fires as assistant chief officers It's like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, so I said, okay. And, you know, so I got my little, you know, little hand slapped and I got caught again, and, um, which I was fine with. Uh, I just, I got there. A cat was on the battalion car, um, two-story vacant apartment building. This thing is just rocking. The guys decided to make a push on the front 
nobody's seen the back. And I'm looking at the back, and there's nine windows of fire on the first and second floor. So I get I get on the radio. I, I bypass command. I just tell everybody, evacuate the structure, evacuate the structure now. They come out, and the entire uh, Bravo Charlie wing come down right where those guys were operating at. I got in trouble for going to the fire, and I didn't give a shit because if I, I feel like if I wouldn't have gone there, nobody right. would have seen all that fire, and we would have lost some guys that, that morning. Um, so I got rode up for that. Uh, got a new training chief. Me and him were going over a bunch of stuff, how we wanted to do some new things, and we're going back to the training center. They bang out a warehouse fire. Well, we can see the header. I said, Greg, this is a great opportunity. We can go look. We can identify some training stuff. We'll go to the fire. Well, this is, I'm inside my brand new brand, 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 still have the new car smell, Chief's car. We bang out. We head to the fire. Lights are going the whole bit. And I miss my turn. So I go to the light. Lights red. I stop around coming traffic. I turn left. And another engine broke left the center to come around and hit me in my driver's side door we go spinning down the street i'm unconscious kind of unconscious i kind of wake up i'm pinned in the car and i see that the engine is engulfed in fire and i'm like holy shit those guys are all dead i self-extricate get out take i actually take command of the incident Uh, all the world's coming the header from the fire truck's bigger than the warehouse header and um finally realized when my other my chief train comes over and asks me why my shoulders laying the other side of my back uh that i'm uh, pretty badly injured um you know go to the hospital i'm i'm worried about the guys and nobody's hurt except for me and my and my training chief and um the investigation takes place and they find me at fault for the accident so there's no real official event. It's kind of like an interdepartment. No, no Georgia State Patrol investigates. It's it's a fiasco, and I don't even find out about because I'm on injury leave. I'm at home waiting to have surgery. Uh, I'm literally on every drug I can get my hands on. I'm in so much pain, can't sleep, can't eat. Finally, get the surgery and get word that I'm being charged with the accident, and that the recommendation is termination. I'm like, uh. I didn't do anything. I turned and they hit recommendation termination. So the investigation takes place. I'm not in the loop about anything. I'm just literally sitting at home for over a month, not knowing this right before Christmas that year, not knowing if I'm employed, my wife's ready to go on a killing uh, rampage with the department and uh, sue everybody, blah, blah, blah. And I've I've met your wife. I don't want to get on her bad side. Like she's... no, 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 never that. I've been on that side, and it's it it, it never <laughs> it never comes out good for me. So I go to my hearing finally, and I'm handed a piece of paper, not even spoke to, basically just a piece of paper slid across from me, and it says uh, you're going to be demoted. I was like, sweet, get out of this office, go back to battalion, and I look again. I was like, oh. That says captain. So I go from assistant chief, bypass battalion, and go right back to captain. And I said, okay. And I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't argue. I just said, I'm fine with that. Left the meeting, uh, called my wife. She went on another rampage because she thought that was bullshit too. Mm-hmm. And um, went back to my old firehouse because I didn't think I was, you know, responsible enough to be in charge of a double house, which I was fine with. I didn't 
full house anyway. I want to go back to my single engine. Went back, had all rookie crew. It was awesome. Made a lot more fires and just enjoyed my last couple of years. And uh, what was funny, my second ship back as captain. You can't, I swear I can't make this shit up. Second ship back as cap, I get a call that I have to go ride the battalion car. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. So I went rode battalion car. Even though I've been double demoted, I'm back on the battalion car as a captain. It was, I can't make it up. You're like waiting for the cameras to come out and they say, ha ha, we got you. Like, <laughs> it, I tell guys, you know, when I do the, I don't, you know, uh, the guys ask for the story, I tell them. And, and I think, I still believe those guys out there go, no way. There's no way that shit, you cannot make this shit up. And that's what happened. And that's uh, went back and finished out my career as captain and and uh, loved every second of it and wouldn't you know look back now and um, uh, wouldn't change really. The only thing I would change is the assistant spot. I would just stay finish my career as battalion chief. So that'd be the only change. Uh, my whole career, that's the only thing I would have ever changed is uh, just would have stayed as BC and uh, been fine right there. That's uh, like I said, I, I you know, I, I've, I've kind of heard this before and, and hearing it from you is, you know, live is kind of like, a, it, it's crazy to me. Um, <laughs> You'll probably get emails going, that guy's lying, he's making that shit up. <laughs> but like, uh, but I also worked for like a city at one point, so I can totally see your second shift and being like, hey, you're going to work as battalion chief today. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I just, I, I got to... I think the greatest book ever that could be written, if we took your stories, my stories, mixed stories, and you just blended story. I guarantee you the average person would read that book and go, these guys are full. There's no way this shit is really happening. Yeah, that's like the stranger than fiction here. Exactly. You could do a whole, you know, not that, you know, uh, Chicago fire kind of drama, but if you did a real fire department drama, I think guys would be in shock. I think the, the public would be, holy shit. <laughs> so you go back from, so you retire, you get to retirement. Yep. But then that's not working out for you. You get rehired. Well, it's working team. out for me. I, I mean, I was, you know, I was totally fine. And they called me and asked right. me to come back to do training. And, then, and how long did you do the training division for? I was in training division for a year and got fired. And, and there's in what I was training, I was brought back to do officer development. <laughs> so you were, you were, bought, you were demoted from the assistant chief back, uh, assistant chief position back to captain, mm-hmm. and then retired, and then they hired you to come in to teach officer development. That and then did they realize that you were like an actual leader and that you were gonna like, like how, like, I mean, what? <laughs> Or was this a budget cut thing, or did it just no nope, message nope, did not drive with nope, man's message? No, nope. they uh, I was hired for a job. They uh, COVID struck. Um, okay, had already been in the chief's office for complaints filed against me, which I'm just like, what are they? I mean, you're not gonna keep everybody happy, but there was a certain uh, faction of Atlanta Fire that's very non-aggressive, and I was teaching aggressive fire ground tactics and. Uh, I was teaching the uh, them before us concepts, and so I got in trouble for that. And COVID struck, and they said, "Oh, we're going to send you to the airport, and you got to ride shifts." 
I said, I don't think so. That's not what I'm here for. So I started working training from there, but I was doing fire department stuff. And uh, they said that uh, that I couldn't do that. And I said, okay, well, we'll, we, we'll figure this out. And then I didn't even get a phone call, a meeting, a courtesy, anything. I got a actual letter. I should have brought it out and showed it to you. And it, <laughs> I didn't understand it. I still don't actually. And it said cease and desist. It was an official letter from the city attorney. And it said cease and desist all training activity for Atlanta Fire Rescue Department. And I was like, uh, am I going to jail? What the hell is this? So I start calling and I'm, you know, I start trying to work my way up to the fire chief and I'm finally get a hold and I'm told to stop harassing the staff and don't ever call about this again. You no longer work here. And that was the last contact I had. Don't know why. Just know I got cease and desist because I didn't go show up for shift work at the airport, even though I was hired to train people. So it was, I said, you can't make this shit up, bro. <laughs> You can't make this shit Nikki, up. I want to let you jump in here because I have a point, but I, you, you've been, you've been. What's that? I, I was going to, Nikki, I, I was going to let you, like, do you, what, what uh, do you. I just have a question for Todd. So what is exactly the assistant chief of the Atlanta Fire Department? Because the assistant chief is a pretty, yeah. um, it's, it, it's a broad spectrum of what a chief may be. I'm just curious what that is in the Atlanta. Yeah, for Atlanta, it's uh, everything. We have three. Um, division on chiefs and they they're on shift and there's only three of those there they carry assistant rank and then we have other assistants that work for depth but we have a whole i mean atlanta loves having chiefs so we have an assistant chief over um uh, entire sections of the organization as well so i was i was directly under a deputy chief and when our section was just cumbersome with everything you can imagine and we had the deputy chief that kind of handled hr and assistant chief with him um and then the assistant chiefs in the field so in the big realm of things it was a lot of chief officers with and in all reality it's just too much for one for two guys to manage i'm managing 40 fire station repairs and you know all this and training and recruit training and the investigation inspections. So I had a deputy chief, I was the assistant, and then I had a battalion chief under me and a couple captains and then civilian. The matrix, the way Atlanta set itself up is very convoluted, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, so, yeah. I wouldn't call it a, it was definitely not a glory position. That's for sure. This is a job I had. Let me see. I mean, you're still going to fires though, right? I mean, it was supposed to be, but you're going anyway. You're taking them in, right? I was still taking them in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I kind of had myself on the radar. I could have just literally sat in my office and rode out my last, you know, five years. And, you know, and uh, that's, the guy and, that want that's the guy that won that position. The guy that's going to not make waves, push papers. This wasn't for you. I think, you know, like, like I said earlier, good guys gravitate to great places and you gravitated right to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and they knew that about me. They knew it wasn't like it was a secret about me. And I, you know, the the weirdest thing about it is I, I told the fire chief when they asked me to do it, I said, I am not qualified 
from the educational standpoint. I don't know the budget stuff. I don't know how this works. Don't worry about that. Chief Sims will handle all that. Okay. I, I think that's actually a really good lesson for anybody in the fire service who's listening. When you're promoting or they're offering you a job position and you say, I don't know how to do that or I don't have the qualifications and they say, don't worry, somebody else will take care of that. That's a red flag. That was a red flag on this. Like they, they, like, Cause I've, I've, I've had that game played with me before. Like, Hey, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And it, and it doesn't end up being fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, one of the things that I was going to ask Todd is that like, uh, I, going from assistant chief to captain outwardly, you handled that really well. And you went back to a happy place for you. Um, you retire, you get rehired and then let go. I don't know how you're still so positive. Like what? I mean, uh, uh, like, cause like that, like some people, this would crush them, you know, and especially yeah. somebody who's as into the job as you are, but like you, like this, I, and I think this is truly the example of the fire service is bigger than ourselves because like, you don't, this, yeah, this is not something that bothers like I don't want to say it doesn't bother you, but like you don't outwardly no. you're not bitter. Like this, I hear about this if I if we we ask and we talk about it. You don't go actively saying, like, yeah, I got, you know. Yeah, no, I don't go around and wear that as a badge of honor in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's it there was a lot of uh a lot of regret, a lot of uh, and I'm not gonna lie, you know, it took me it took me a minute to re-engage myself. I was, and it wasn't re-engaging with the fire service. It was kind of re-engaging back to my own fire department. Uh, I knew I was in the right. Um, I knew I didn't do anything wrong. I was doing what I felt was best. I know what was best for the, for my training chief and for the organization. And it wasn't looked that way. And that, that was my hard part re-engaging. And, uh, but as soon as I walked through the door again at the firehouse, I was immediately re-engaged and it, it literally like I didn't, I wasn't even gone at that, that for the, you know, the years I was a battalion chief out of that firehouse, um, you know, cause I was at the house of the cat made battalion chief went to, you know, ran out of a different house of the BC, but as soon as I walked in the door and, you know, being familiar with the firehouse and, and the driver that was assigned there, I knew that guy that had these rookies and, um, we made a couple calls right out of the rip and it was just, you know, right back in. I, and I didn't even give it another thought. It was hard. I mean, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying if I said it was all uh, rainbows and sunshine during that time. It was, it was some very long days, especially I think the waiting was the worst part, not knowing. Um, I, I felt like a failure. I felt like I was failing my family. I felt like I was failing my, my, uh, my dad. I felt like I was failing my, my wife, uh, especially because I thought for sure they were going to terminate me. And when they didn't, I just was like, yay. And my wife's like, we need to sue these. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was like, I don't want to be tied up in a court battle with the city of Atlanta for the next, you know, they have a lot more money than I do. They can tie a court hearing up for years and years and years. Yeah. I said, that's not going to do me any good. Mentally, it would, it would crush me. It was better for me just to, you know, thank you, sir, and go back to the firehouse and uh, keep living the dream. And so I told I was on a, I did a little class for a Chief Fisher 
out there on the West Coast this afternoon. And one of the slides I use is mission before rank. And the mission is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than Mick. And rank is what it is. Um, I'm never going to put, you know, to me, the, the heart and soul of every fire department or the company officer is not the chiefs. It's, and I, think, I wish all chiefs felt that way. Um, the captains make or break your fire department. The lieutenants make or break your fire department. They make or break the members on the fire department. The chief sitting at home right now or in bed, he's not, he's not out running calls for those guys, man. And so going back as a captain and company officer, I knew I still had a lot of influence with my guys and the battalion. And that's what I kind of still hang my hat on today. It's, you know, it's about the job. It's not about how many bullshit bugles you got on your yeah. yeah, well, exactly what you're saying, Todd. I think if anyone's ever worked in the restaurant business before, you have the front of the house and the back of the house, and the heart and soul is the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where they, that's where the grunts are, the infantry, right? They're back there, they're, and they're whacking out meals, and you have the head chef, and you're the head chef. But they put you up to the maitre d', right? But they didn't want to see a pretty face. They wanted someone that would play the game. And your heart and soul was in that back kitchen. And that's exactly, like I said, you gravitate to where you belong. And that's so special about the fire service. And it's such a, a great learning experience for anyone listening to see your path, for them to understand that it truly is about the kitchen, the heart and soul, that infantry, the, and, and, you know, you're in the grit, you're getting your hands dirty. And sometimes that's where you're supposed to be. You can promote all you want. If you go, not saying you were a bad chief, but they wanted a different chief. Oh, they didn't they want, want a different one. <laughs> they didn't want they want a guy from the ghetto, a ghetto fireman being the representation of the Atlanta Fire Service on that level. So obviously you gravitated where you're supposed to be. And uh, I think that's probably why you're so happy moving forward with life with retirement is that you walked away saying, you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. And I, and I ended up where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, me and my wife have a very simple saying that uh, everything happens for a reason. You know, and I don't know what the end reason is. I mean, I don't think you ever know until the end, obviously. But uh, I think my 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 track with Atlanta Fire uh, uh, happened for a reason, and the you know whatever those reasons were, if it was somebody maybe I influenced, and now they're high, and I did one of my from one of the guys that was one of my firemen, then he was uh, my lieutenant for a while when I was a captain. Um, then he made captain. I worked with him uh, as I was a BC, and now he just got promoted to battalion chief. And it was awesome to hear that they promoted him to BC now. And you know, I think, and he told me, I, you know, I've actually, you know, influenced him um, over the career. So maybe that was one of the end goals. Maybe that was one of the. You know, I told him to, you know, stay on that track. Don't do all the other stupid shit I did. And uh, you know. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> no, I think a lot of your end goal is your message, and, and, and you're getting the message out now with National Fire Radio or, or um, the Daily Scrap. Everything you've been on, I've been listening to. Like you're getting your message out there, and it's letting guys know it's okay maybe not to take that promotion, maybe to just stay where you feel comfortable, and that's okay. It's not about the money. It's not about the pension. It's about being happy and being confident ultimately in what you do. Mm-hmm. I, I know yeah. for myself and uh, like on my own personal experience, you know, I, I was up for a promotion. It didn't, the cards didn't play in, in, in my favor. And I was, there was a moment where I was really bitter about it. And I had listened to the the weekly scrap with you. And when you talked about that and for whatever reason it, it clicked for me and I was like, all right, you know what? Like this isn't like, 
calm down. Like yeah. it's gonna be okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like we've been going for believe it or not, I've been like I think a little over an hour and twenty five minutes here. Um, I want to talk really quickly if you're okay with it. I know you had the cotton mill fire. And uh, I think it's great you said that this one made the old American Heat series because a lot. It of people... is. It's all American Heat, and the guys give it. Uh, uh, Rowett's giving me hell because they pulled that damn video up, and uh, I was a uh, second year lieutenant at that fire. I'd been a lieutenant for two years when that fire busted, and uh, so I look way, 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 way younger. <laughs> so they love. Yeah. You know, so their favorite thing is, "Who's that? Oh, that can't be him." You know. You know. You know. Guys are assholes. So. <laughs> Uh, they, they've gotten a lot of good play out of that. So, yeah, so if you ever want to check it out, uh, Cotton Mill Fire, Atlanta, Georgia, um, I'm uh, interviewed. I was one of the uh, first guys on the fire floor with that fire and one of the first, given, well, one of the last guys to run out of that fire <laughs> as it was collapsing around us. So, but it was, it was truly, uh, man, as a young boss to have a fire of that mag because it wasn't just mammoth building that blew up around us it was the fact that we had 25 houses go up around the cotton mill as well and we got fires breaking out blocks and blocks away from the embers it, it was just it was one of the craziest shifts um and what made it crazier is my very first shift as lieutenant i'd just gotten transferred to that station that was my first shift at that firehouse when that fire broke and uh, so the chief first words out of his mouth when he saw me that night was he was transferring my ass back to another station and yeah. be there anymore <laughs> after that fire. And then we got, we were there for, I don't know, God, 12 hours, racked out. And an hour after we got back in service, we banged out on another uh, fire that same morning. And it, it was another just, you know, just sticking it fire that I got, uh, we were first due on, so it was a great shift. I mean, it was an awesome shift. I hate that, you know, we lost what we lost, but uh, the helicopter guy, you know, Matt Mosley made the helicopter rescue at that fire. All that. It was crazy. It was just one of those shifts you just never, ever, ever forget. Yeah. Uh, helicopter rescue. What's On that? A crane. Yeah. A helicopter that was rescue. That, that, was the cotton, that was the cotton mill fire. <laughs> Listen, before we run out of time, I want to bring it um, in a different direction real quick. Breaking barriers. Can you touch on this oh. a little bit? Definitely want to get this in here. Um, it's something you and Anthony Wright are doing, and it's great. I believe you came up with the program. And if you could just kind of touch base on the history, where you're going with it, and whatnot, and uh, I think it's something that's beneficial uh, for the fire service on every level. Yeah, and I and I appreciate you mentioning it, man. I you know, you know I tell guys all the time I'm the I'm the worst self promoter of all time. I, I hardly ever talk about what I do, and um, but the breaking barriers is a class on uh, for first responders on disabilities awareness. I'm very passionate about it. It's it was very unique when I started writing the program because it's not what I typically teach. I'm able to bring what I how I teach into that program now, but. It's a very strong focus on um, people with Down syndrome and people on the autism spectrum. And I have a lot, you know, the experience that I had, my wife worked for the National Down Syndrome Congress. Um, so I got to interact with these people with Down syndrome and really fast, I mean, really quick go, had no clue who they were, how to interact, how to communicate, knew nothing. Um, didn't know how to do the, you know, did a little friendly fireman thing and totally lost control of that. 
because uh, I didn't know how to communicate. And then my son's on the spectrum. He's high functioning. And um, but we still deal even day uh, as an adult. There's still parts of him being on the spectrum that we have to deal with. You know, he lives in his, has his own house and everything, but he just had a little fender bender. And my wife's been dealing with this fender bender for a month now. He can't take anything that's not in his everyday norm, I guess is a good way to put it. And that's where we have to step in and, well, she steps in and has to fix things for him. And this is a 29-year-old damn man, but it's just part of that spectrum. So we teach this class one on easy ways for us to hopefully recognize that we're dealing with somebody with special needs to clarify the misconceptions. We, we tend to think we that all the TV ads and everything are always these little cute kids with Down syndrome or these young kids with autism. Well, there's a whole huge adult population living out there independently. And it's amazing the interactions we do have typically and it's not them it's really on us because we don't know how to communicate with them uh we we tend to want to rush in fix the problem and leave and that's not what's going to happen when you're dealing with a person with special needs it's going to take a, a more patience on our part more understanding on our part about the person the family how to recognize how to communicate how to make them feel comfortable and still take care of whatever the issue is. Something as simple as just getting a person with autism out of a house, if there's a major gas leak, is not, hey, get the hell out of here. You're, there's a gas leak. You're going to have to go in and probably have a conversation to get them to leave their home because that's, that's, for a lot of people, uh, it's their comfort zone. And so that, that program really came about um after and so after i wrote the program i did send it to captain rowett who's a captain with mobile fire and he has a son who has down syndrome and i uh, was diagnosed two years ago was also being on the autism spectrum and he's nonverbal, <laughs> so he has all these challenges so the first person i thought of i sent it to him and i wanted his blessing as a parent and this what that class and he immediately said yes this the, you're, everything you're saying is good and the program even though we've delivered a lot it's not i want to say it's not well received but people don't understand what it is and then once they get it uh i've never left a class where the guys are gonna say man we didn't know any of this and then i've had email and messages since then we had this call and we did what you said everything worked out the way you thought it would and so that's re it's really one. It's a very rewarding class in a lot of ways when I get the opportunity to deliver it. And uh, um, yeah, we're just kind of seeing where it goes. We do a class for uh, families with uh, that take care of special needs people uh, from a fire safe fire safe. Just primary search is different when you're dealing with people with special needs, and those are things we teach in that class as well. You know, Todd, I think it's amazing. And with with Captain Norwet, he does a monthly um, post. Port City Fire Training. Um, on he does an updating post, just little tips and tricks on how to deal yeah. with uh, special needs. And I think it's I think it's a great thing he's doing. Uh, one of my favorite favorite thing monthly. I look forward to every every month, and I like to share that. Um, this is something I feel honestly that should be in every fire academy across the nation. We do a right to know. We do uh, the EEO training and all all these all this mandatory training. There should be mandatory training. I really believe that. Um, we could talk about stretching hose and taking windows and cutting roofs every day. Right? That's what we want to talk about. But this is something that's truly, truly saving lives. 
and it's making us better not just firefighters but just just human beings communicating yeah. with the public um on on every level and, and just thank you for bringing this bringing this out there i mean uh breaking barriers such a such a great thing so so thank you for that i appreciate you bringing it up and it's you know it's funny because it, it's uh uh, people with uh, cognitive disabilities are actually some of the most discriminated people in the world, and just from and, and they're discriminated against because us as typical adults in society have not taken the time to gain that understanding uh, of how special and how unique all these individuals are, and we and we bring that to the class. We you know we have videos and examples and. Um, the class was really written by people with special needs where we did interviews and they told me what they needed. Their families told me what they needed from us as first responders, fire, EMS, and police. That's a, that's a huge step of like, and I don't want to like, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but that's like a brave step because most people don't approach it from asking somebody, Hey, like, what do you need from us? Like, we assume we have the answer because we always have the answer. And I <laughs> like I, I think about some of the best like right hooks that I've ever taken in the fire service. One was from a retired boxer who had dementia, and I just reached across the bed to get him. And at 96 years old, this he came right up and he got me. And I just like it like you know, like talk about like, hey, you get punched in the face and get stunned. And the other <laughs> one was uh, you know, kid had Down syndrome, he was in an accident, I wanted to put a non breather on him. Um, because he was fucked up and from the from the accident and yeah. i went to slide that uh the that elastic strap up over his ears and there's a big sensory thing up here and i mean like just connected like stunned me like just that mm -hmm. good hit on the jaw and totally wasn't expecting it either you know like because you're you're not but like that's just a simple something as simple as like you know bsi seeing safe uh oh i got a critical patient high flow o2 like muscle memory yeah and you know and you can't like you know you can't be but like now you're at this point where you're like all right i just got punched in the face uh this kid's still needs <laughs> a lot of care like what do i do and yeah you know at the time there was no no resources i'm very fortunate i have a good friend of mine uh, i got my buddy zachary um hopefully he's gonna you know tune in for the episode and, and check out uncle rob but like i, I learned so much about the patient population because there was nobody out there given that class, you know, and, and yeah. we've been lucky in the, in the firehouses in Poughkeepsie, we hit, you know, like our firehouses, I think was pretty progressive and prior to COVID making sure we had some people included in the community. I mean, Mr. Mills is always, you know, hopefully comes back one day. Uh, but like I said, with the COVID and stuff, that's the lockdowns and everything else, we haven't been able to have them back. And, you know, it's just, it's a, like you're doing a very valuable piece of work here because it's, it's, it's going to, well, first and foremost, for anybody out there who's listening, I don't care where you are in the country, you're going to have, you're going to run this call eventually. Oh yeah. yeah. Like you and might not, you might not do the high rise job. Like you might not run the buildings that Mickey runs. You might not have the staffing issues that I have, and you might not run the, the construction that you have in Atlanta, but you will come across this patient. You will come across this call and dealing with somebody that is on the spectrum or has some sort of special needs, whether it be Down syndrome or something else, and you're going to have to deal with that. And that, mm -hmm. like, it will, there, like I said, it's before you guys came along, or was there a book on it? Was there anybody teaching it? No, if you look, no. uh, and you can find stuff, I tell guys, look, you know, you can look things up on Google, but what I found, I went through a program through Ohio State University, but 
the majority of the stuff that you can just pull off a line is very clinically driven. And, right. and when I say clinically driven is where I've got that interaction with that individual, that group of individuals mm-hmm. for week after week after week, whether it's a school teacher or a nursing facility. And our interactions are always, almost always under the worst, crappiest, shittiest conditions we can imagine, whether it's a gas leak, a vehicle wreck, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, a family member who's become very ill. And now that person with special needs is the only one there and they can't communicate with you about certain things. And um, that's where we have to have that understanding and just how to approach somebody and understanding how they're going to interact with us sometimes. Uh, uh, it just, you know, most, uh, most people I've dealt with with Down syndrome are very loving, caring, uh, can be touchy feely individuals. And for some guys, that's very uncomfortable to have an adult man want to touch your shoulder you know, while you're speaking yeah. with them. And, but if we recognize this is a person with Down syndrome, this is a form of communication for that individual, it can make us a lot more comfortable if we just have that, you know, again, it's just having some understanding, you know, it's nothing complex, but it's a simple understanding and how to communicate better. Now, you, you keep saying understanding. I think it's more of a tactical sense from first responders. Like you're speaking tactics. These are straight up like first two tactics, you're pulling up. It could be a yeah. fire, it could be ghastly, it could be EMS from but these are tactics you have to deal with. Um, this is a this is a class that should be in every conference across the nation, big or small. Uh, and it's just it's it's got to get out there. And if anyone's listening that's that's hosting a conference, please reach out to uh, Todd and get this in your conference. I want to bring it everywhere I can. I want to bring it to my job, and I'm and I'm going to try as, as hard as I can to make that happen. It's yeah, just, even uh, the academy. I think the academy is a great place to start. I think those are yeah. uh, those are always good launch points. Um, we just did all the mobile fire, you know, over the course of the last couple months, and even with Anthony there, um, they, you know, Anthony felt like it better coming from me, um, you know, because they get to hear hear his ass all the time. And uh, before I left Atlanta, I did all the Atlanta fire rescue, and uh, uh, there's been, like I said, I've gotten those calls where. You know, one one group in DeKalb County, they ran, a, they left the class and called a call with a uh, kid who was very autistic and they tried some of the techniques that we taught and they were able to do everything they needed to do to get this kid transported and safely to the hospital. So right. that was really cool for them to call me and let me know that that actually worked, you know, because these are individuals and we preach it and preach it. These are in the, just like the three of us are individuals, even though we have a lot in common, we're still individuals. Um, and same with people with this comes somebody has down everybody with down syndrome is not exactly the same. They all, they're all individuals. And it's important we understand that. And we don't, we just see, oh, those, those two people have Down syndrome. Oh my God, what do we do? That's an individual. That's an individual. And we treat them as such. But we have to have that. We have to do that. Have to have that understanding of people. Todd, is there, and is there anything that prohibits you or not prohibits you? Uh, like, because I don't want to say like, what are the barriers you have to overcome to get training done? But like, what typically, is there anything that's holding you back from this training? Like, is it, is it funding or is it just merely getting the word out? Uh, it's, it's typically the word out. Uh, yeah, we do. We, yeah, we were able to offer, um, the, the program we don't, I mean, obviously there's always expenses tied with everything. I mean, I don't care what you're doing. Um, but a lot of it's just word and the, and I think some of it is, eh, 
it's like if you go to my website it's the first class we have on the website <laughs> you know we're that's how much we you know how strong we feel about the program uh and we'll take it what we'll do that class it's only you know we really do it in a little over two hours it's not like an eight hour day of hearing about uh special needs it's it's two hours it's jam-packed it's interactive and then what we typically do to re help reduce costs or for more uh benefit is we offer another class tied in that that's how i did mobile i did breaking barriers um with each group and then we would do another class on decision making so they got two classes basically for the price of one i guess the way to look mm -hmm. at it um and, and we keep it and you know we we want it to be affordable because we know everybody's got budget issues and all that um at the same time so i yeah. think the biggest thing is people understand what the class is about i, I feel like the website's descriptive maybe not descriptive enough i don't know um but yeah i think guys are always looking for that you know big leadership speech and you know and i can do all those as well but um i always try to tag that class somebody asked hey we need you for two hours well if you do four i can add this class and i'll try to squeeze that in any opportunity i get uh, just because I feel that yeah. strongly about the information. You know, everyone's always talking about pedigree and experience and, and whatnot with everyone out there. You know, everyone's promoting a message, and that's, and that's great. I love it. But you and Captain Orwet are teaching from the heart, teaching mm -hmm. things that you've done with your entire life. So you always want that guy that goes through a million fires to tell you how to search or how to put a fire out. You guys are teaching something that you just didn't make this up. You didn't take a class on how to. Uh, train the trainer like you're, you're speaking right. solely solely from the your, your soul and your heart and it's it's very passionate you can see that when you speak and i think that's i think that's a great thing that people should just pick up on is that this isn't just you didn't take a class and you're passing on the word you're just teaching from experience you're mm -hmm. teaching from experience when you're going to fires in atlanta and now you're teaching with experience from this and um it's a great program really i i, I can't promote it enough and i i, I haven't taken it and I can't wait to take it. And I just, I, I just love the idea of it. Yeah. Anytime brother, any, you know, any, any opportunity, um, you know, uh, happy to do it. I really am. I, I enjoy doing the class and I think I've got it refined now that guys come after we're done and the guys go, man, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it to be interesting and interactive, you know, something as simple as one of the activities. I don't want to get too far off into it, but, I'll get a younger guy, ask one of your young guys, explain to somebody what a blood pressure is and how you're going to do it. And you'll watch them stumble or they'll go right into the clinical stuff. Well, the size, the systolic number tells me when the heart's doing this and this. And this. I said, you know, I just told you I have Down syndrome. Why are you telling me about systolic and diastolic? <laughs> Again, it's just we don't think in those terms sometimes. An adult male. You may have to explain everything step by step by step by step to achieve what you're trying to achieve with that individual. And I, again, that's okay. our biggest message is the individuality of people yeah. with special needs. I, I know I've had in the past, like where like I've just, you know, something like the blood pressure, like, hey, can I, can I show you what I'm going to do on my partner here? Like, you know, yeah. kind of like just because it's it, it works. It's just, you know, like, mm -hmm. but but like uh, Anthony you know, when we interviewed Anthony on, on National Fire Radio, like one of the things that I always, and, and this is something that I knew. So it's like one of the few things that I was uh, just, I, I'd always known was like not baby talking. Yeah. 
That's a big one. <laughs> That's a big and one. I remember one day I was like, hey, I'm going to show you what this looks like so it's okay. And then the, my partner is like, like, you just went right into it. I was like, hey, like, mm, you just, you, shush, I'll do this. And like, they, they were like, all right, like, fine. But like that, you know, it, it, there's so many good parts to take away from this. Todd, yeah. where, where can people find Todd Edwards? Uh, wow. Uh, right <laughs> now. Um, You're at home. But I'm at home, which is uh, uh, great because it's been uh, uh, been a great fall. We've been very, very busy. Uh, as far as like big national events, uh, the next big one's going to be at Fire uh, County Fire Tactics Fire School in February. Uh, I'll be down there. I don't I don't even know what I'm teaching yet because there's a whole host of things we're talking about. Uh, I'll be uh, be teaching at the Orlando Fire Conference in February. Uh, then a lot, a lot, it's funny, it's in, which is really cool at the same time, um, doing a lot of officer development stuff for individual departments right now, because there's such a lack or so, and we even mentioned it a little bit, there's such a lull after firefighter two and driver, how do we train officers? And if you're, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have, you know, the fire officer one stuff, I, I love it, it's great, I teach fire officer one, but there is so much more to leading firefighters than just fire officer one and HR and paperwork and SOG. So a lot of farms would be, I've been doing a lot of officer development with uh, different departments. Uh, Lift conference in Louisiana, I'll be there with Steve Robertson. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of little small on the national level. Those are the national ones. I'm uh, very fortunate blessed. I'm doing South Texas fire conference this year, doing uh first time ever ever speaking at fdic so i'm super psyched about that i've done hands-on i've never uh i finally got the letter of approval i put in for it for like eight years and they finally said yes so that was pretty cool um waiting to hear from firehouse uh taught at firehouse expo in the past so hopefully i'll get that again so yeah i'm just kind of all over yeah. the place uh, you, you, you mentioned dates. you mentioned the website you what's the website yes the website is it's it's unfortunately not super long but it's you know the www.firelifetrainingassociates.com and you can surf around there it'll, it'll list classes we post out when we're at certain places uh, a lot of departments if i've been brought in just to do a one or two day program they're usually pretty open about letting guys come to those uh but we keep that we keep our events pretty much up to date um cool and uh so yeah on the national level uh those are the bigger ones the orlando and some of those and then a lot of them are the uh you know the two three day gigs uh, like in fairhope alabama um I'm, uh, wake forest i'm super psyched to go to wake forest uh, uh for their training thing they do every year um uh, got to work with those guys at some other events and uh unbelievable group of firemen there and i'm i'm really looking forward to uh, going to speaking with them for two solid days so that'd be that'd be pretty cool to do those guys well todd thank you for i mean this has been a, a fantastic evening i've got i think like three or four pages of notes here written down so that's always a good good sign for me um i appreciate you being here mickey thank you for for stepping in with top floor tactics and helping us go host tonight uh, we couldn't have do it done it without you so I, I appreciate your support here. Um, this is just, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to get to 
have you on the show after two years of watching you teach and getting to know you at the revolution. So well, I, pre- I, I appreciate the opportunity. I don't take these opportunities lightly, man. I really don't. I've been thinking about it all day and, and uh, uh, was excited about doing it. And I, and again, you know, being on the scrap and getting to do these opportunities, like I said, I don't, I don't take these things for granted because there's a lot of great guys out there um, from my mentors to, and, you know, like I kind of mentioned my mentors and influencers and, how many guys influenced me and I watch and pick up on. So it's just truly, uh, truly a blessing to have these opportunities. And then now that I got to be on with Nick was even better. I even shot him a message say, Hey, heard we're going to be together tonight. So that was pretty cool. And uh, looking forward to working with him again in the future and see what happens from here, man. Well, let's hang out for a minute after we stop here, but everybody, this is Rob national fire radio. Mickey Farrell with Top Floor Tactics and the one and only Todd Edwards. Thank you for joining us all here tonight. We appreciate it. You guys have a great night and thank you once again for tuning in.